I started it this way last night and I'm doing the same thing. I'm so, so excited that I get to do this, okay? I had so much fun last night getting to talk about Jesus with our church. I went home, I woke up in the night because my daughter was crying and I was like, oh, there's so many hours till I get to go back still. Can I go now? And then I woke up and I was like, it's today, I get to do this again. I am absolutely thrilled, truly, to be here talking about worship, talking about Jesus with all of you. Are you guys having a good weekend? Yeah, all right, good, good, very good. I am so, this is, this is wild. All right, here's the deal. We're doing a series about worship. My name is JJ Mata. I am the lead worship pastor here at this church and was given the opportunity to get to share this message about worship. Thank you. Why am I up here though? <laughs> Why am I up here? It's because it's my job to, to lead worship, right? I love to worship, but I want to see our church grow in worship. I am after the heart of God for worship in this church. Not what I think we should be doing. Not how I think this should go. What God wants for us. And what I know and what I keep hearing and what I keep seeing and the things I keep praying and then God answers those prayers and then he's like, hey, but what about this? I'm like, let's go that way. And then he does it. What he does. What God is doing in this church. What God is doing in this church. I'm here for that. I'm a worshiper first. We're all worshipers. I'm worship pastor, I'm worship leader, but we are all worshipers and I am a worshiper first. And that's who I have to be to be able to lead anything. My wife and I, Kate, the most wonderful person on the planet, lead truly awesome, lead all of our creative team, all of our worship, all of our tech part of this church. And so I just also wanna take the opportunity to say that it was such a blessing for me this weekend to get to stand and worship along a team that I love so much. And I just wanna shout out the worship. Can we just? <clears throat> Mariah and Jordan and the whole of our team and all of our tech and sound and video and everything that goes on that you guys never see. I love being a part of this church. And what Kim said is true. The worship ministry is very cool, but I have four children. So I love the kids ministry at this church as well. It is very awesome. Yes, it is very awesome. All right, so I wanna pray. And then we're gonna get into a lot of things I'm so excited to get to share with you. Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you that I get to be a part of what's happening in this place. Thank you that I get to be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom and your economy, God, who you are. Lord, we put you first, we put you as the head, we put you above everything. I pray, Jesus, that my words and everything that is said, everything that you've stirred up in me that has gone a direction that I was not expecting would resonate in all of our hearts, not so that we just learn a bunch, but so we draw nearer to who you are. So we know more about who you are and worship you the way that you are seeking. Thank you for these people, Lord. I pray for ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are open to you, Jesus. And God, please let the bills win today. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw you, I know, we can talk after. They are my favorite team. I'm only not wearing my bills hat because they don't want my eyes to be shaded on stage, so. I woke up at 5.15 and put it immediately on this morning. All right, I wanna start with a story from my own life. As I was going through thinking about worship, thinking about what does the Lord have for me to say about worship, I was reminded of a story, <clears throat> and I'm gonna give you a little context to this part of my life. I brought a picture for you, mostly because it's fun, but also to give you just a picture into where I was at. Here I am at about 20, why are you laughing? <laughs> there I am, a 20-year-old man. And I'm just going to say, this is a word from the Lord for someone in this room. That guy married an absolute babe, had four children, and has a job. Anything is possible. <laughs> anything. In God's economy, anything can happen. Because my parents were not so sure if anything was possible at that point in my life. So this picture is actually, I zoomed in to keep the other people anonymous because how embarrassing. Um, but I came up in my adulthood, my, my late teens into my 20s, I played in a Christian hardcore band and had the opportunity to tour the country and meet a lot of very cool people if you're into that scene of music and um, thrash for the Lord. We went off and it was a lot of fun. Um, but we, are, we set out to play, to enter in. My heart was, our hearts were, enter into a scene of kids in probably the darkest, it's like heavy metal, but all screaming, and then drugs and everything you can think of. And I loved it. 
but I love Jesus. And so I was like, how do I live this? None of my friends love Jesus. They want me to do all this stuff I don't want to do. I just want to get in the pit. That's all I want to do. I just want to thrash. And so we were like, what if we, what if we made a band and we traveled around and we could get into it, but we could also share the gospel. We could also, I had conversations with kids outside of venues and alleys and situations that I should not have been a part of that my parents finally said, why don't you just tell us you're still alive and not give us the details? And I was like, fine by me. I'm sleeping in a Walmart parking lot, um, eating a Snickers bar for dinner. My grandma hated that. Um, but, but the band started, I, none of this I say to impress you because it's really not as impressive as it sounds, but the band started picking up a lot of steam and things started to really become very cool. We got on bigger tours. We had a lot of opportunity, like I said, just crazy. And it was all my dream. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. So we were coming back from California, going to do a, a Southern sweep back up to Colorado, a couple more shows. And I woke up <clears throat> somebody's house and all the band is just sleeping on the floor in this room. And I was looking around and I was just like, man, we are way off where we started. This is not about God anymore. This is about us getting on Warp Tour, us going to do all these next things. And we're driving back and I had a lot of time to think because when you're in a van with six other dudes, there's a lot of time to just try to be by yourself. And the Lord said, this is not what you set out to do. This is not what you committed in honoring me with this opportunity I have given you. And I was like, but this is the dream. This is it. And so we got back to Denver and I quit. And I had no idea what I was going to do. So there's the context. So I come back. I'm living with my parents. They're really like, you could get a job. And I go, I start going to a church in Denver. It meets at night. And I'm just desperately seeking God, just desperate for the Lord. And so I'm, I'm on the aisle a couple rows back, and I just, in the middle of worship at the end of the service, I just fall to my knees, and I'm just like, it's not even worship at this point, it's just desperation. And I'm like, God, please, please show me something. Where am I going, and what am I doing? And it ends, and the woman that was leading worship comes off the stage, and she comes up to me, and I'm like, she knows what I'm supposed to do. She's gonna tell me what I'm gonna do. And she's like, the way that you worshiped is the way that everyone in this church should be worshiping. Thank you so much for the way you worship. And at first I was like, oh, well, if the worship leader says it, I must be doing it right. And then I was like, oh, like, am I drawing attention to myself? Am I doing it wrong? And then it just spiraled me into this confusion of how I should be worshiping. And the thing, if you know me, if you come here, when I get on stage and worship, if you saw me down here today, I just jump around. I just go for it. And I do not care what any of you think. It is not about anybody but Jesus. I am not here to impress you. I don't care. I want to worship Jesus. I don't say that to be callous or brash, but truly, like, I'm just here for him. And I love the opportunity to get to lead this. But man, it's me too in the room just worshiping Jesus. Right? Right? So I started to really wrestle with, should I rein it in? Should I go all out? Are people watching me? Is there a right way to worship? And I'm posing that to you to start this. You can say yes or no out loud if you want. You can think about it. Do you think there's a right way to worship? All right, all your heart, a lot of no's. Not that long ago, I would have said, no way. Worship how you want. But if there's one thing I know from following Jesus, it's that if Jesus says it, I better line myself up with what Jesus says, right? If it's in the Bible, I better find my way that direction, right? So I'm going to take you to a story that not that long ago, before I knew I was going to teach a message on worship, I was looking for, and not anything to do with worship. I was looking for the story of the woman in the well, a woman at the well, not in the well. And <laughs> it's a different story. And I can't figure out what I was looking for in it, but I forgot the second half of that story. So I am going to give you the context to the part where then all of a sudden God opened my eyes and I was like, oh yeah, this is the same thing. So real fast, Jesus in this time when his ministry is starting to pick up is in what was, we have a map, Israel. Here it comes now. And he's in Judea at the bottom. I picked the easiest map I could that just shows the three parts because that's what we need right here. And, he, and the Pharisees who are the keepers of the law start to get wind of the fact that this ministry, this man is doing something that people are paying attention to and following, and it's not his time, so he says, I'm going to get out of here. So he decides he wants to go back up to Galilee. Well, obviously, the easiest way for him to do that is to go straight up through Samaria, but there's a huge problem. The Samaritans and the Jewish people hate each other, 
And we're going to get into that hatred because there's a context there that we need for the end of the message. So the Jews would go around the way to avoid these people that they hated. But Jesus, being Jesus, goes straight on up through Samaria. And isn't that just like Jesus? That he would go straight on to the situation with you. He'll let you decide if you want to go straight on back with him. You can have that. You can wind around the way. You can go around Samaria with him, but he's coming straight for it with you because he loves you because he's done with the situation already before you even are. He wants your freedom more than you want your freedom, right? So he's going to go straight to Samaria because there's something he can speak to that only Jesus can speak to. And he goes straight up to Mount Gerizim, which you can see is the bottom of the two triangles in Samaria. All right, so there we are. So he gets to Jacob's well, patriarch of the faith, digs a well in the Samaritan land. I keep wanting to say Samarian. And there's a woman at the well drawing water. So he just throws to her like, hey, can you grab me a drink? A lot of problems here. Jewish, Samaritan, man, woman, not how this is supposed to go. And she starts asking him questions about why he's pressing this and doing this with him. And as Jesus does, he's like, yeah, yeah, I have living water. And she's like, what does that mean? And he just takes it a completely different direction with her, right? And just offering this life that only he can give. You'll never be thirsty again. She's like, I want that. And he says, go and get your husband. She's like, oh, Jesus, I heard that person, I don't know who you are. Uh, I don't have a husband. Shoot, just me. And he goes... That's right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And then she's in that like freeze frame record scratch. That's me, how did I get here? Like, that's a reference that only a few of us, I guess, know. And that's, and that's completely fine. And I'm sorry I said it, guys. All right. Um, so, obviously, not sure how to approach that. She completely changes the subject. And we're gonna pick it up in verse 19. John 4, she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There it is. There is a way to worship, and the way to worship is in spirit, in the spirit, and in truth. So this throws me for a loop. I'm a worship pastor. And how many times have I said something like, let's worship in spirit and in truth. But what am I saying? And how do we do that? And what does that mean? So I had the opportunity to bring my message to our incredible teaching team. We have some awesome teachers in this church. And it's amazing to watch them take the material that I had put together and they're asking me questions. I'm like, wow, I've never thought of that. Oh, that's so cool. What a connection. That's awesome. And let's define a little bit deeper. What does the spirit and truth mean? So somebody said, the spirit is the zeal and the truth is the knowledge. The spirit is the fire and the truth is the solid ground. My wife, Kate said, the truth is the anchor and the spirit is the arrow. Hold on to that. We're going to go there. There's a parallel here. There's a verse in John 1.17 that says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As a worship leader, I train people to do worship, to lead worship, to play on a worship team, to be a part of worship with the tech side of things. There's a lot that goes into doing worship here. And I always say, you have to have as much of the spiritual as you have to have the logistics. And I think we err on the side of like, well, it's just the Holy Spirit, so let's just let it rip. And that is true. But if I show up here and I don't have a fresh revelation of what God's doing, I don't have any knowledge of what he wants to do in our people, in our church, in me, who's gonna follow that? How can you follow that? Because I don't even know what I'm leading. And if I don't know who he is enough in the character of God and what he's done in my life and understanding him to sing words 
like we just sang, then why am I leading those songs? Just to hype you up, right? There's another verse in Psalm 85 that says, mercy and truth have met together. I think I have a different version, so I'm going to read this one, but you can go here. It's just different words. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Right before the, the message yesterday, Pastor Kathy comes up to me and Kate and she goes, the Holy Spirit's here and it's like Jesus is just looking down over, over from heaven. She's like, what's gonna happen next? Righteousness looking down from heaven in this room. What is he doing? What is he wanting to do in us right here, right now? but the truth is springing up from underneath us, okay? Setting the stage for where we're going. So I wanna break down today the two parts. There's just two points. I didn't do the way you do a message and do three parts. I did two. And I'm okay with it. Spirit and truth. But to get there, I wanna give you a little historical background on how the Samaritans and the Jews came to hate each other. There was a king of Israel, his name was Hosea. And there was a king of Assyria and his name was Shalmaneser. And Shalmaneser had a setup with the kings before Hosea that they would be allies with him and they would pay a tribute to him. Hosea was the king in the area of Samaria and he decided not to do those things. So he allied himself with the king of Egypt and he stopped paying the tribute and just didn't say anything about it, and just let it roll. The king of Assyria figured it out, obviously, because the money was not coming in, and he decided to attack. So for three years, he attacks the Sumerian area, Samaritan area of this land. And when he takes it, he overthrows it, he puts Hosea in jail, and he deports all of the Jewish people out of the Samaritan land. Then he goes and he gets a bunch of people from other areas, and he fills the land back in with them. New customs, new gods, new idols, new ideas, new ways that they do things. And they start marrying Jewish people and it starts becoming this very convoluted situation in the middle of this time of Israel and they're not worshiping God. The one true God. God doesn't like that. This is about to take a dark turn, but stick with me here. God sends lions into the land and the lions start killing these people. Personally, I think sea snakes are the scariest of all animals. I mean, to make a snake that can also swim and is poisonous, I, it's my first question in heaven. Like, why, God, did they also get to swim? I'm already scared enough, and now I won't go swimming because what if there's one in there? I can't outswim a snake. I can't swim. Side note. So these lions, also scary, would hate to get attacked by a lion, but I have my own opinions. Uh, these people don't want the lions to keep killing them, obviously. So they take it back to the king and the king says, go get a priest from all these people we just deported and just ask him how to worship their God right. It says in this part, and it's in 2 Kings, they do not know what the God of the country requires. They worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. They try to get it right. Okay, and, and you'll see here, they went so far as that Mount Gerizim where they were at the women in, at the well story, they built their own temple to mimic the one in Jerusalem because they thought, no, this is actually where we should be worshiping God. It wasn't to try to do it wrong. They were trying to get it right, but they kept bringing in their own stuff, okay? So God's not into that, right? I mean, in the Ten Commandments, commandments, you should have no other God before you, right? So it's not going to line up. So the, Jew, the Jews, the Samaritans hate each other. All right. So we're going to go into how to worship in spirit and just hold on to what I just said about the Samaritan people in this temple on their mountain. There's another story in the book of Luke, and it goes like this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. 
They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And what was he? A Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What do I know about leprosy? I know that if you have leprosy, specifically in this time, your life is over, right? You don't get to come back. You don't get to be with your family. You don't get to come near anyone except other people with leprosy. 10 of these guys in a moment, walking, not even touching Jesus, just get healed. And one guy turns around to the man that can actually do it, falls to his knees and thanks him. Recognizing the only one that can actually do something in my life is this man right here. My situation has changed forever because I met the actually the only one that can do it, right? The other nine just get healed and they're back to their lives. And it's interesting that Jesus would call it out and ask, where did they go? Weren't there 10 of you that I just healed? My proposal here is that the Samaritans had the spirit, okay? They built their own temple to try to get it right. The only man that would come back and worship Jesus was a Samaritan man. There's a zeal inside of these people that want to worship God. That's probably backed up by the fact that they watched their friends get killed by lions because they were getting it wrong, right? I'm not being funny, for real. Like, at this point, this is kind of a do or die for real situation to worship the one true God. So they're stirred up inside and there's this zeal inside of them and they want to worship him. There's a spirit, there's an intangible that's inside of them that they desire to get right in their worship. And isn't it interesting that everything that hinges around these two people groups and all of this that we see is because of worship. It all hinges on how you worship, right? This guy responds from the spirit, from his spirit, from what he sees, and obviously suddenly gains the knowledge of who Jesus is. Suddenly gains the knowledge that he couldn't get right. He's worshiping God and these idols, and then he gets healed, and he's like, oh, okay, hold on a second. I gotta go back and thank this guy. I've said this before, and when I first started leading worship, you got to think, I came out of a very performative life of playing in a band that the whole thing was to get a whole room of kids hyped up to just go nuts, right? So we went nuts. The rule in our band was somebody had to get hurt every night, okay? It was usually me. You saw me. I weighed like 80 pounds, would get thrown, right? But as I started leading worship at the old building, I would stand there and I'd be singing these songs and I'd be looking around oh, that guy has his hands up. He's worshiping. He's in it with me. Oh, that lady looked up from her phone. That lady's worshiping, right? That guy's phone just made the fantasy football sound. He is not worshiping. <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Um, no hate on fantasy football. Go Bills. Um, but, but it became a place for me that that's what I was wrapped up in in leading worship was who, who seems like they're worshiping with me? Don't you know how good God is? Why aren't you looking up from your coffee and worshiping God, right? And I'm packing up my guitar after a Sunday service and God just directly says to my heart, it is not your business what I do in people's hearts in this place. And when you're leading worship, you have no idea what I'm doing and that's not your part. I charged you to lead people in worship. Let me do the work because I'm the only one that can. I'm the guy that healed the man from leprosy, not you. I'm the one that can make cancer disappear, not you. You can sing these songs and you can lead people and you can, you can sing in spirit and in truth, 
but that's where you stop. And then, oh yeah, I'm God. So why don't you ease up on everybody and just worship me? So I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. It was just, it was a mindset I was in for real. And I think we can get caught up in that and judgment, all these things, right? But I was thinking about, we, we sing the song, Too Good to Not Believe, that I just referenced. And in that song, we sing words like, we'll see cancer disappear. We'll see metal plates dissolve. We'll see families reunited. We'll see addicts finally free. There is a guy in my life who has been my friend since I was born who is hooked on the worst of the worst drugs and it will not let him go. And we have walked through 30 years of pain with his life. And every time we sing that song, I sing a little louder that part because I want to see him finally free by the only one that can set him free. And I said this last night, I'm going to say it to you too. When we sing that song next, I would love it. If this lines up, if there's a part in that song that lines up with where your life is at or someone in your life that needs that healing, needs that place, sing it louder. Cheer for that part in faith that God's going to do it, right? That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. The spirit, worshiping in the spirit that we're actually going to see this stuff happen because that's who he is and he's here, right? So we're singing it. I had stopped singing it for a while because I, I just messed up the logistics of it at Mile High really bad and I got way off and I couldn't get it back and I just couldn't face the song again after that service. I was like, Kate, I'm never singing that song again. I hate it. It's awful. And then not that long ago, a guy came up to me. He's like, why don't we sing that song anymore? And I was like, oh, that song's good. And so it took all the courage inside me we did it again, and it worked, and I didn't mess it up. Just being vulnerable here, guys. Uh, but we're singing that song during practice on a Saturday afternoon here not that long ago, and I started going into the bridge of make room, break down the walls of all my religion, break down the walls of all my tradition, something like that. I feel like the Holy Spirit said, if you don't get out of the way of what you think this is supposed to be, not just me, all of us, However you've built this up that I can or cannot heal, however you've built this up that I can or cannot reunite families, then you're just doing Christian karaoke. Yeah, yeah, you're just singing against a wall. And I'm gonna get real vulnerable here in a minute, but I'm gonna hit it right here for a second. Recently, in the last few years, and I've talked about this, but I have come to the incredible discovery in my life that from the time I was very young, I have lived just riddled with anxiety. Like, actually the kind of anxiety that I finally went and saw a counselor and was like, yeah, this is pretty serious. You should have come here before now kind of deal. Maybe that's for somebody here. Don't wait any longer. Jesus wants to walk right up through Samaria. And it can be difficult, but it's so much better. So, I live my life, most of, the, most of it, too scared to ask why I feel the way I feel all the time, why I'm always, but I'm worshiping and I'm pleading with God. I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's wrong with me. Just, can you fix me? But it's all out of like me just singing against the wall. I have the zeal, but I don't have the truth. I don't actually know if he could do it. I have the spirit. I'm in a room of people that seem hyped up about what they've seen God do. Why can't I get free? singing against the wall that won't fall down because I'm pushing the wall, not God. Kate said, zeal without truth is an arrow that just goes with no direction. Worship without truth is an arrow, you've been in those services, that just goes without direction. Somebody gets a spontaneous word and then they just sing their whole life and all of, you can't keep up. You have no idea what they're saying. There's nothing to come back to. There's no chorus. There's no word you can grab onto. It's just somebody in a personal moment with God that has made it public for all of us. I'm not knocking anybody, but I try really to be careful with that. If the Lord gives a song in my heart, that it's something that you can grab onto because why else am I singing it? Then that's just personal. It's like when you get a word from the Lord and then you just force it on everyone else. Like that's not my life. I don't have that problem. I think that's something you need to circle back on. Worshiping in spirit then. The Samaritans got that part of it. It's the intangible. It's the God take me outside of my understanding. I'm in a situation now that isn't within my understanding, but you know, and I'm excited about the fact that you know 
So I'm going to turn around and I'm going to give you everything I have. But you have to have context to go there, right? So truth. Then the second and final point. Jesus says in Matthew, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. If you go back to the same story of the 10 lepers, there is one man that gets called out as a foreigner, one man that gets called out as a Samaritan, and nine guys that just walk away and we never hear about them again. My view in going back to the story now with the lens of spirit and truth is that these other nine guys were Jewish. And why would these nine guys who are Jewish walk directly away from Jesus and go to the priest, it says. Because in the Jewish law, the priest was the only one that could tell you that you were actually healed. So they were just following the rules. If I got healed from leprosy, I'd hope no matter what the context was, I was like, where's the guy that did this? I don't care anymore. Thank you so much for changing my life. Here I am, I'll follow you. The rules are out now. What is your rule and how do you do this? How do I get my life lined up with who you are? But these people are so caught by following the law that they pass by Jesus to make sure the priest says they're good. I passed by Jesus to see what the worship leader thought of how I worshiped. And it left me in a world of confusion. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh yeah, that guy healed us from leprosy, but my heart's toward what the priest says about me. The Jews then had the truth, but not the spirit. Okay? Interesting how this divides two people groups, and they each carry one piece of how we are called to worship. And Jesus defines it right down the middle, a Jewish man to a Samaritan woman. So I said, my life has been riddled, has been filled, has been opposite of how it should feel, should be, with anxiety. And a couple of years ago, I did a great job for about 30 years of dealing with it as best I could. And then it all just erupted and I went through the darkest time I've ever lived, the hardest couple of years of my entire life. It was the kind of thing that I would wake up in the middle of the night, in the middle of a panic attack, and my arms would just be numb. And I'd be like trying to wake Kate up, but I couldn't move. And I'm like, please, like somebody get me out of this. And it just spiraled and got darker. It got darker. It got darker. It got darker. I lost the ability to feel nearly anything. And good old depression just backed that anxiety up and just kept tanking me. And the enemy brought his condemnation and his guilt and his shame and he just piled it on me and I had no strength to try to fight that. I couldn't fight. Maybe that makes me look weak. I was. I was extremely weak. Wake up every morning and just be like, oh, I have to live again. Can't I just take Tylenol PM and just sleep all day? Please, God. No. I have four children and a wife. I have to get up. And I did but it took everything inside me. And all I had left, I'm leading worship with all of you and I am just as flat as could be. I can't feel anything. I have zero zeal or spirit inside me, I feel like. And all that's left in the very center of my heart, which Kate kept having to remind me, was that truth of God blinking like a tiny light down way deep in the ocean on a submarine that you can just see the faintest blink. God is good. God is faithful. God is true. God will heal me. God will see this through. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And that's all I had to hold to. 
But I went to Pastor John, asked him if we could meet, and I tell him. He knew I was going through a hard time. But I tell him how bad it is and how I'm up on stage and I just, I can't feel anything. I have nothing to give. It's taking everything out of me. I should not be leading worship. I look at the mess I am. And in his wisdom and in his grace and in that righteousness looking over down from heaven on my life, Pastor John stirs up the truth that comes up from below. He says, you should be doing exactly what you're doing because God called you to do it. And the best thing you can do right now is to continue to sing the truth over yourself. Continue to sing the truth. Because even if you can't feel it, it's still true. And feelings are fleeting, right? But what is true about God will always be true about him because he said it, so that's what it is, and that's who he is. So you can bank on the fact that he is going to hold you in the midst of this. And as you sing the truth over yourself, that doesn't just go void. He will work this out, and he will use the truth. And so I kept doing it. And as a testimony of the fact that I'm standing here right now, the Lord is faithful and the Lord is good. Yes. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. Every weapon that it seemed like could be used against me was circling, but I'm still here. And I'm probably more fired up than ever about who Jesus is because I'm the leper that turned around and said, yeah, you did touch my life right? I'm the leper that was like, who cares about any of the rest of this stuff? Jesus did this in my life. Jesus actually saw me through a season that I really didn't know if I was ever going to get, if I was ever going to come out of. And it's interesting because Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All right, go with me here, because I'm going to say some things about worship for a second. There is a mindset, and I kind of said it, but there's this like, why would you make a plan? Let's just go. Let's just, let's just worship, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And that is true, and I've been in that moment, and that is awesome. But Jesus says it's the truth that will set you free. So we have to have something that we're holding on to in order to worship him out of the place where then the spirit leads that truth out of us and the truth leads the spirit. You have to have both, right? But what happens here in these two stories, the woman at the well and the man that's healed of leprosy is that the spirit and the truth collide in a moment in their lives and where does it land? At the feet of Jesus. And to truly worship him is to just draw yourself to the feet of Jesus. My friend Paul, who's part of our tech team, said from last night, his takeaway was, this message is saying, you can get as close to God as you want to get to him, right? But that takes you knowing who he is and experiencing what you can't describe. When someone asks me, how is worship? The part that I can't ever explain to them because they weren't in the room what God did in my heart that I can't put words to, the spirit and the truth. Worship is interesting, as Pastor John said in the first message of the series, and if you haven't listened to the other messages, you should. We all come in with preference, right? We all come in with Songs we like, songs we don't like, music we like, music we don't like, ways that you can play music at church, ways you shouldn't play music at church. If you should have holes in your jeans or if you should not have holes in your jeans. I know because I get all of the emails. All of the emails. I have a lot to do in this job, guys. I'm just kidding. Um, But I want you to think for a second because this is not in judgment and this is not coming after you one way or another, but I think everyone errs on the side of being more of a spirit person, being more of a truth person, okay? You know who the spirit people are because they're gonna let you know they're the spirit people, right? Right? You know them, okay? And you know who the truth people are because they're gonna be a little more cerebral about how we're doing this, right? 
Reckless love. Reckless. Can I say that God's love is reckless? I'm going to send an email. I got those. Uh, Sloppy wet kiss. I feel like I'm more of an unforeseen kiss guy. Why would you be an unforeseen kiss person? To me, that feels weird. I didn't see it coming, and then I got kissed. I can't think of a context anywhere else where that's acceptable. I'm having a little fun with that, but also for real. Why would you hang yourself up on the wording of a concept that God would go all the way, recklessly abandoning anything he could do to protect his own son so that you and you and you and you and you and you and you you can live forever and know him and there's no more veil and there's no more anything between you and him. It's you and Jesus forever. Why? Why would we fight that? What if the spirit moves? What if we sing Fresh Wind one more time? I'm singing that song on purpose, and it's not just because I love it. I'm going to see the Holy Spirit move in this place. I can't make that happen, and I'm not trying to force this. I know it's coming. So what if we sing Fresh Wind one more time, and the Spirit moves? What we're asking for, and that is a, you better think about the words we're singing in that song before you sing it, because here we go if this happens, right? Right? We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out. What else would we want, right? But what if that happens and it's outside of your context? It's outside of your comfortability. It's outside of your reckless love concept. Would you miss it? Would you choose to? Is that okay to ask you? You don't have to jump around like I do, but I would certainly hope that where your heart lands at the feet of Jesus, the spirit and the truth. Make it all just like, okay, God, I know who you are. I trust you enough to lean right into where the spirit's going. Or, okay, God, I'm so fired up. I trust you enough to learn and seek what you have. It goes both ways. I'm not coming after just truth people, right? A buddy of mine had this idea, something in the Bible that he was trying to work out. And so he and I are talking. We went to the Avs game. It was awesome. He brings this up, and I'm like, man, like, this is a huge conversation, and we're driving home, and I don't, know, I don't have enough time to like, get into this. And he texts me later. He's like, you know, all this has really led me to do is just get deeper into the word. And I was like, what a cool response. The fire meets the truth. What I'm reading makes me feel fired up. Here we are on both sides of this, and it's at Jesus' feet either way. So I wrote these things down, and I want you to just think about it. If all I do is worship in a setting that's easy for me to explain, then I'm just worshiping my understanding. If it's all fire and it's all passion, and that's what you're comfortable with, then you're really just worshiping your own understanding of how worship is, what it can be in your life. Or if it's all, we sang the songs I'm comfortable with, we sang the songs that make sense to me and don't push me outside of the bounds of maybe considering God just a little different for a second of who he is, because I can't, I personally don't know how to explain him because he's way past my brain, right? I want a God that is outside of my understanding. I'm after someone that goes past my understanding. Because in my own understanding, we are in trouble. I am not that smart, and I can't figure much out anyway. And I feel like as I have four children and get older, my memory and my brain is just shutting off. If I worship in a set plan that I can direct, then I'm just worshiping my comfortability, right? If I'm in charge, then I'm not at Jesus' feet. I'm at my own feet. And I'm pointing this way or I'm pointing that way. And this is how we're going to worship. If I worship in the scope that I bring, then I'm worshiping predictability. Make me comfortable and entertain me 
so that I can get through this and go watch the Bills game, right? Make me comfortable. If there's anything I've learned in the last couple of years of the Lord just finally saying, you know what, JJ, we're going to pull the plug on your whole deal of covering your anxiety and all the pain you're living in, all the stuff you need to deal with. It's that God is not after my comfortability. And thank God he's not. Because the hurt I've been able to let go of and the confusion I lived for so long thinking that something was just wrong with me. I'm glad I didn't get to stay comfortable. And what I thought was comfortable, which was actually the most uncomfortable I've ever been for three decades, every night, the sun goes down and the tightness in my throat starts. The pain in my stomach starts. My brain starts racing. And by the time I go to bed, well, I'm certainly not going to sleep. Why would I choose that to be comfortability in my life? Because I can manage it okay? God himself is searching for true worshipers. We are true worshipers. God himself has a way that he desires for us to worship him. And it's so much more simple than we make it. I say, yes, there's a way to worship. And immediately the people that said no are probably like, oh, great. He's going to tell us what he wants us to do here. I want you to get at Jesus' feet. And I want you to get as close to God as you want to get with him. Because he's all the way up. You got to just take the step. So I have one last story, and I'm going to pray for you. I figured it out. I went back to college after my band. I didn't know what to do. My parents were like, maybe you could try something with structure. (laughs) Maybe, mom and dad. Maybe you could stop making your own shirts and just wear clothes we buy for you. Somewhere at a Goodwill, there are all those shirts I made myself. All right. So I go, to, I go to Fort Collins, and I meet this guy, and he had become a Christian not that long before I met him. Great dude. He's an all-truth person. And I am, at this point in my life, an all-spirit person. And so, by the grace of God, we lived together for one semester of college. He, moved, he went to Ireland to study abroad and called me from Ireland. I'm like, what's up, man? It's so good to hear from you. He's like, hey, I don't want to be your roommate again when I get back. I was like, why did you choose to call me from Ireland and take the time to do that now? He didn't have any response, but he let me know. So, but before that, in the same time in my life, I had been dating this girl and I had never thought of the concept that she may not want to keep dating me and break up with me. Somehow I just, I told you guys, if it's in my own understanding, things are not going well, just never considered. So she does. She just breaks up with me and I'm just gutted. Like, what will I do? My dad had to call me and yell at me. Like, get off the couch, come home and just please, like just grow up. And so, yeah, so I did. Um, but my big fix for it was I had a buddy down here from my old band. We'll just go to a music festival at Red Rocks and we'll just get into it. That'll make me feel better. And then it rains the whole time. And I'm feeling very bad inside. And all of this trouble that 15 years later came out is swirling inside me. And I am driving home back to Fort Collins from my parents' house. And it's just pouring rain. And I'm crying. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond crying. I'm bawling. And I can't see. And the windshield is so full of rain. Can't double see. And I swerve my car. And I'm screaming at God. I'm not... I I don't like going to church. I don't want to read my Bible, but it's all I have left is that you could be real. I know you're there. What are you doing? And how do I get out of this? And I swerve my car and I am as positive as I can be that I heard the actual voice of God because I think he had to yell at me to get me to swerve my car back and not just crash off the road. I'm not being dramatic. I truly believe that. And he says, stop fighting Stop fighting me. Stop trying to make this all happen in your own hands and let me be the one that fights for you. I know where you're going. Let me lead you. And then he stops talking. I stop crying. And I'm just driving. And I'm 
then crying because I'm like, God, just talk to me. Oh my gosh, he's there and it's all going to change and he has good for me. So I like drive home, rip out of my car, run up to my apartment. I'm like, Scott. And he's like a very quiet dude. Like no judgment on this guy. But like, he, like for fun, he would just sit on his bed and read his Bible in silence. And I'd be like going off in our apartment, doing whatever I'm doing. Obviously I'm a very busy person. And he's just like, okay, like can we just tone it down a little bit? So I just scare the heck out of him. Like Scott, God, just talk to me. And he's like, what are you talking about? And so I tell him this whole thing. And his eyes just get so wide. He goes, I was just reading in Second Chronicles the story of King Jehoshaphat and all the armies are coming against him. And God says, send your worshipers out. I will fight your battle for you. And all of a sudden, he tastes the spirit and I taste the truth and Jesus is right in the center and it's, and it's worship. It's worship because we're experiencing both sides of who he is. There's your picture of spirit and truth. Me and Scott standing in the front of our apartment, just overwhelmed by how amazing God is. So the last verse in the message version of John, same verse as right at the beginning, says, we got the basics from Moses. And then this exuberant, giving and receiving this endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus, the Messiah. We got all we need in knowing him and knowing who he is and what he says. And then it's this outpouring of the stuff you can't put words to of who he is. And right in the center, he is standing with his arms open to you. Come and worship me as close as you want to get. So all I want to do is pray for you. I want you to take this. I want you to think through where you land on this. Jesus, what an honor it is to worship you and what an honor it is to know you and to be known by you and loved by you. God, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, I pray that however we land right here, that the centering and the place that we find ourselves today is right at your feet. Willingly exposing the places that maybe we hold back. Maybe we've been afraid to get near you with. Maybe worships, our arms are out. Or maybe it's a wildfire and there's no structure to how we actually know you. Or maybe somewhere in between that. Lord, would you you grab us up in your love in who you are. Bring us to your feet and show us the simplicity. Show us the depth. Show us the word and the spirit combining in one to worship you the way that you're seeking. Get us out past our understanding, out past what we think we should do or not do to what you have, Jesus. God, I thank you for these people and I thank you that we get to come in here and freely worship you. And I pray, Lord, that all this does, all the words I've said, Lord, whatever would resonate would just be you, Holy Spirit, pointing and directing us back to you, toward you, for you, to worship you in the spirit and in truth. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.